Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. Hi, I'm Susie. I am a Clinical Operations Manager or a COM in the NN3 team in North Place and we do community nursing and therapy. So describe the team that you work with. My team are amazing. So I have a mixture of registered nurses, registered therapists, so physios and OTs, amazing healthcare assistants, nursing associates, assistant practitioners in therapy, so a real MDT. And they're just, they're wonderful. They're amazing people. They go and see patients predominantly within their own homes and they deliver a whole range of things, whatever those patients need, wound care, rehabilitation, exercises, education, support, lots of stuff, but all in the patient's own home and always in the pursuit of keeping that patient in their own home for as long as possible and keeping them as well as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fundamental part of NCHNC, isn't it, our community nursing? And we know that we've got offices and bases all over the place. So do you work closely with any other like geographical bases? Do you feel that you're quite separate or do you sort of have that collaborative working across the county? That's an interesting question. So as a comm, I feel like I work really, really closely with my kind of counterparts within the other teams. We've got four community nursing and therapy teams in North and we get together twice a day to talk about our teams, where we're at in terms of staffing. We talk about anything that we're worried about, whether we're able to get to all the patients that we need to to that day and whether we need support. And our teams are amazing. The clinicians within our team will go and work in another area at short notice if they need to, if if one area is particularly short and we're slightly better off on that day. So they will move, they will see patients in other areas, which I I think really has demonstrated for me the flexibility of our workforce and how much they are willing to do and put themselves out, i.e. travelling further, working with GP surgeries they're not familiar with, patients in different areas, teams they don't know, all for what our patients need and making sure that the people with the most urgent need are seen as soon as possible. It's a very reactive way of doing things. So I guess that must present some challenges, though. And and obviously, like we know that staffing is a, is a big issue across the trust at the minute. So are you feeling the hit there that, you know, even though you might be able to lend out some nurses to another part of the organisation, like you probably I'm guessing you don't have that many to lend out yourself. So what, what kind of challenges are you facing at the minute? It's interesting. So I've been doing I've been doing this particular job for seven months. And during that period, it has felt that squeeze has become more and more and more and COVID is still a factor. We've got people off sick. I think it's fair to say that staff members haven't come out of the pandemic unscathed. People are dealing with a lot of stuff. We've been through a really difficult time and that's taken its toll on everyone. So people's resilience is perhaps not where not where it can be. And I'm hugely supportive of that. And I always am very conscious of that ask, you know, asking people to go somewhere else and work somewhere else. We do try as a North Place to be really proactive and plan our rosters well and make sure that, you know, we've got not too many people off on annual leave at the same time. But I don't think anyone is sort of doesn't know how difficult it is at the moment with with vacancies and recruiting and and therapy in particular is a real issue at the moment. Recruiting to therapy posts, it's really hard. And the people who are here and are turning up and are doing a really good job are doing amazingly. But I will confess that I worry about those people. And yeah, it's hard. That's a very hard part of my job. 
Yeah, of course, because you've also got things like petrol costs to contend with. Mm -hmm. So when you are asking your staff to support not just their own patients, but other patients as well, that's geographically could be difficult. People are well within their rights to say no, presumably. Absolutely. Yeah. But also might feel like they can't because it's part of the job is that you want to help and you've got that compassion. So it's it's a really sort of like a rock and a hard place, really. And I suppose as a com, that's your job, isn't it? To juggle it all. How does that take its toll on you, though, as like personally? I try to do whatever I can to make it easy. And I'm lucky in my position that I do have levers that I can pull. So we do have, you know, for example, pool cars and things like that. So if someone is having to travel extra, they can they can have the use of a car to cover that distance. People are always given additional time to travel and they're given their mileage payments to cover. But appreciate that that's always in arrears. The money always has to come out of their pocket before it gets paid back. And I'd be really keen for the NHS as a whole to look at that because I think that is something that really does need improving, particularly now with the cost of fuel. It does worry me. I'm not going to lie and say that it doesn't worry me. It always, like I said, it always feels like a big ask. And I think there is something to be said about culture. I think the culture in North, there seems to be a feeling across all four teams that we are all in it together. We are all supportive of each other. It's not like NN3 looks after NN3. All of the NN teams are there for each other. And if they're struggling in NN4, then then we want to do something to help that. And I think that speaks volumes about the leadership in Norfolk and, and that we've kind of created that culture where we all want to help each other wherever we can, even if it puts us out or it stretches us a bit. And as Com, and I know that my my colleagues and other teams feel the same, we're, we're here to support people in doing that and help them feel like that stretch has been worthwhile and patients really appreciate it we really appreciate it your level of support to other people I I always think about this that there's senior leaders and and then middle leaders always kind of looked upon as the ones to fix the problems and you know make sure that everything is in place and there's all the jigsaw parts are slotted together but who's looking after you do you feel supported in in, in your kind of layer of the organization I think sometimes I am not perhaps able to articulate what kind of support I need. That's something that I've learnt. Do you think that's common across this kind of job role? I think it's a real skill and I think it's a skill that we don't often talk about. Quite often in this organisation we hear the question, you know, are you feeling valued? Do you feel valued? And and I have kind of learnt over many years and my background in coaching really helped with this what does being valued look like what what is it that's happening what am I seeing and what am I hearing when I'm being valued and I think if you're able to articulate that you then are much more likely to get what it is that you need and I think I view support in the same way am I able to articulate what support I need and I'll be honest some days when I am really overwhelmed I'm not able to articulate that what I am always assured that I can do is contact someone my line manager the comms and clinical leads in north are really supportive and we work together really closely I know that I could ring any of them if I was really struggling with something didn't know where to turn to and for me being relatively new in post and not having done an operational leadership previously I do that quite a lot um and, and it's never a, well, why don't you know how to do that? Well, you know, you've been in the job long enough, you should know. That has never, ever been a response. People will always help and always be supportive. 
but yeah, I would say the days where I am able to say really specifically, this is the difficulty that I'm having. This is the challenge that I've got. This is the support that I need from you. Other days where I feel much, much better supported. And that is as much my responsibility as it is the person that supports me. The, the other thing that I was just kind of reflecting on is that denial is sometimes a really useful coping mechanism. And I reflect on periods of time where I've gone, no, 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 it's fine. I'll carry on. I'll carry on and think, oh, I need to carry on. I need to carry on. And that is the thing that has seen me through the difficult time. Unfortunately, the, the kind of flip side of that is you do get to the point where you can't do it anymore and you crash and burn. But yeah, I recognise that a lot. And, and that's something that I see with everyone. It was something that I experienced, you know, as a clinician a long time ago, patients with long term conditions and, and that kind of denial, what not wanting to look at that was how they coped with something that was really, really difficult and really, really hard. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if it's like sustained for a long period of time mm. and it means you're not really kind of accepting what's happening. It can be, I suppose. You mentioned there your background in coaching and you also mentioned your background in clinical. So you've got a really interesting journey through the NHS, haven't you? Because you, so am I right with this? You started in clinical, then went to corporate uh, support services and now you're back in clinical. So you've kind of moved your way through, you, you've sort of straddled different facets of the organisation. And I think that's really interesting. So this last move, what made you want to move back towards operational sort of clinical side from the service improvement partnerships team where you were working in central services? Um, so I was working as a project manager within support services and the, and the kind of newly structured service improvement partnerships team, purely because I'd got, I'd got to the point in that job where in terms of my development, there, there was not really a lot more for me. And psychologically, I felt ready for something new and a challenge. And I was lucky enough you know sometimes the stars align don't they and there was this post within operations that would give me the opportunity to manage a budget manage a team learn how to use a roster and really give my kind of coaching skills a really really good go and it was a secondment it was covering maternity leave and in the back of my mind there's always that caveat with the secondment that you can go back I thought oh good if I'm rubbish at it I'll be able to go back and do my old job so I, I went to the interview with no expectations whatsoever but I can honestly say I absolutely love this job it is one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever done in my life or it is the most rewarding job I've ever done have you got any transferable skills that you've learned from support services that you've been able to apply in your current role? I think there is probably unconsciously a huge amount of project management um, methodology that comes through. I think it's contextualised. I think where, you know, where I currently work, there is a very black and white place in project management. And that's I, I've learned that that is not always appropriate. But certainly thinking through things in kind of a much more methodical way is something that I learned to do as a project manager. That was definitely a skill that I honed and fundamentally establishing what the problem is before we take any action. What is the problem and are we certain that that is the problem that we need to solve and taking a real kind of well, having a real emphasis around scoping and, like I say, understanding the problem and making sure that we aren't putting things in place that aren't going to address the issues or change the situation positively. I suppose having worked across all of the different facets of the organisation, there you, you can see how 
NCHNC serves the patients and then the teams and then the organisations in those in all those different ways, which I think a lot of people maybe don't have that perspective. And I wonder whether in support services we can really ever understand what it's like to be on the front line. Do you do you think that we have enough dialogue with our clinicians to really understand what people feel? We'll never have your perspective on things like that. But do you think by having conversations with people like like yourself and the the people who are in a similar role? that we can get more empathy and therefore more understanding? I don't know that that is ever a journey with a destination that you reach. Clinical world, operations world, is it, it's ever-changing. Patients are changing, complexity is changing. The, the role, I mean, I've been out of clinical services for six years now, and it's it's so different to what I remember. In my coaching role, I used to have a supervisor who would say to me, stay in the not knowing. And I think what we potentially do, all of us, is have conversations with people and go, right, I understand it now. I know what goes on now. When in actual fact, we will never know. Through a conversation, you will never know. Through that conversation, you will have a snapshot. You will have how someone feels on that day about that thing. But how they feel and how they respond to it on another day may be completely different. So I suppose what I would encourage people to do who perhaps aren't working, you know, directly with patients is to never assume that they know. Always think, do I know? Always wonder, do I know? Could I know more? I'll ask again. And I worked in support services, having been a clinician for many years. I've worked for the I've worked for the NHS for 20 years now in a in a variety of clinical roles. And, and I worked in support services thinking I have an understanding. I've lived it. I've breathed it. I didn't. It was different. People's people's experience, people's lives, what's expected of them. It's all changed. And I suppose what I've learned now is to, like I say, stay in that not knowing. Yes, I've had that conversation with someone, but I'm going to go back and have another one on today and see if it's the same and see if it's different. Well, yeah, because it's a moment in time, apart from anything else. But also it's just one person. And like you say, if they've had a bad day, they're going to have a completely different opinion on what's happened to somebody else. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I think the yeah, the key thing there is that dialogue and keeping it open and having those conversations. And like you said right at the beginning, you have those conversations across the system with your various different comms and, and your counterparts to keep that dialogue open. And I suppose we need to be doing more of that, but across the support services to clinical, that kind of bridge and I know we're doing a bit more of that. We've got um, Emma Jackson in post, haven't we now, who is sort of a bridge between digital services and the sort of clinical world, making sure that that relationship is working really well. So I think things like that, I think, are really important. You definitely said this to me once. Um, <laughs> I remember this. The further you are from patients, the more you make assumptions. And I think that was a really interesting thing to say because that it really made me reflect that it's very easy to say, well, I'd imagine patient x is is thinking this or i'd imagine clinician x wants this and actually sometimes it's not that you, you could say that the biggest thing that we need to fix as an organization is this but actually if you talked to people they might say actually do you know what yeah that would be great if you could fix that but there's an easier thing to fix that would you know make a bigger difference actually do you do you feel that about your team are there things that potentially that if you, just one tiny thing could get done then things would be different Yes. And I wonder sometimes it's not a thing. It's a way of being. I have found what people want most is to be heard. 
to have the opportunity to speak without being interrupted and really, really listened to. And you don't necessarily have to do anything as a manager after that, just demonstrating that you are willing and you care about them enough to listen to them. Generally, people know what they need. And just through listening, you can sometimes instill a level of confidence in someone that actually I do know what I need and I definitely need that. And I feel confident to go away and do that. So I suppose that's that's really good in a sense, because actually it isn't. It isn't difficult. It isn't complicated. We don't need a really elongated and convoluted process to support people. We just need to listen and be present rather than having a conversation with someone. Just come and sit in their environment and listen and pay attention, because just through sitting in someone's environment and hearing and seeing what they're doing day in and day out gives you a greater idea and you're not getting their perspective after the fact you're experiencing it with them next to it when it's happening and you you mentioned again at the beginning about culture and I think that's exactly what you're saying you know listening to people is free doesn't cost anything and it's all about that culture I was listening to a podcast it was about people having a voice but are people ready for what that invites so, for example, when people say, oh, I've got an open door policy, you can come and see me anytime. And actually, they're waiting for people to come. And that's not what we should be doing. We should be getting out there and, and inviting those conversations, because actually that open door policy, it's actually not that open, if that makes sense. It's people still have to physically come to you, whereas actually, if you really want to hear what's going on, you go to them. That's where we need to recognise how important psychological safety is and where people are at in terms of that i know particularly with virtual working now we've got a we've got sort of interactive forums and things like that and and we encourage people to put honest feedback on forums and things like that and if people aren't using it then there's obviously not a problem and it's recognizing that actually maybe people aren't putting things on there because they don't feel safe to put something on there and that feeling may be justified but it may not be often people are, are frightened of the idea of something they're worried that they'll be come back from it which is not true is <laughs> never true but people believe that and I think it's through listening and understanding that actually people can then say well actually I thought this would happen and you can address that and support that person and through being in someone's environment you are not requiring them to as you say experience an incident and then think I need to go and talk to I need to go and talk to someone about this incident I'm going to go and talk to someone about this incident you've been there you've observed that you've witnessed that experience and you are there in the moment for that person whether it was positive or negative to say are you all right or wow that was really great I really noticed how you handled that particularly well and I think that's equally as important giving people really clear specific feedback when stuff has gone well articulating the kind of behaviours that they um, demonstrated that were really positive really helpful but you have to be physically present in that moment to do that. So in that seven months is there anything that you've introduced in terms of sort of feedback and positivity is there something that you've introduced with your team that they perhaps didn't have before that that other people could maybe share 
we now have a weekly NN3 newsletter. So we have the week in NN3. It's kind of a mixture of a briefing and a kind of, I try and make it a bit personal. So sort of good news about people, if we've got people who are new to the team or, you know, something significant has happened for an individual and we try and put photos in it and make it a bit more, you know, kind of humanise it a bit rather than it being a bullet point list of these are the things you need to remember. Um, I put on there about training opportunities and things like that and just key things that people need to be aware of. So hopefully that's something that's something that people are interested in reading. And I've had some feedback from staff that actually they, they enjoy reading it and, and it makes them feel part of the team to have that kind of extra bit of information. I'm sure I've done other stuff, to be, but to be honest, seven months in operations is like a blur. So much happens all the time. I can't quite believe it's been it's been seven months. It's been, like I say, it's been the most challenging but the most rewarding seven months of my career. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.